Have you ever thought that you, know, you really do a subject? And you begin to work on something that you really thought you understood. You really knew it, only to find out. There's some essential piece of information that you missed. Let me tell you. I remember when I was in a Ph.D. seminar in Christology at Southwestern, and uh, I had Burke Dominey. Um, Dr. Dominey was, he was a tough customer. And, and this Ph.D. seminar for a year long, and so we spent the first semester of this thing going through the formation of, of, of Christian doctrine on the doctrine of Christ. And then, and then the second half, we we're going to cover different theologians and philosophers and their perspective on Christology. And I was the first one up. And I was not going to be found wanting, okay? So, so I produced a 25-page single-space paper with a seven-page bibliography on Immanuel Kant. And I remember when I turned that bad boy in, I knew I had hammered this sucker. I knew that I had everything that was essential to know about it. And when the other guys, when they saw that paper, they thought, seven-page bibliography? How are we going to compete with this thing? Yeah, I had done it. And I presented the paper, and everybody was impressed. Well, then, later on that week, I had a private meeting with Bert Dominey. Like I said, he was a tough customer, hard to please. And he ripped me up one side and down the other because I had neglected to mention Kant's ethics, which I still don't think is important. But <laughs> but you know, the thing is, I didn't have everything there. I missed what someone thought was essential information. And as we look at this section of scripture today in John chapter 20, we're going to see we're going to see these apostles. We're going to see these people who were with Jesus for 3 years. And you know what? They thought they knew him. They thought that they knew what he was about. They they thought that they had the inside information. But when push comes to shove, they were still missing some ideas about Jesus that was essential. So let's take a look at John chapter 20. On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. And she saw the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she went running to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, the one that Jesus loved, and said to them, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. At that, Peter and the other disciple went out, heading for the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and got to the tomb first. Stooping down, he saw the linen cloth lying there, but he did not go in. 
Then following him, Simon Peter also came. He entered the tomb and saw the linen cloth lying there. The wrapping that had been on his head was not lying with the linen cloth, but was folded up in a separate place by itself. The other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, then also went in, saw and believed. For they did not yet understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to the place where they were staying. But Mary stood outside the tomb, crying, and as she was crying, she stood, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in, the, in white sitting where Jesus' body had been lying, at one, one at the head and the other at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you crying? Because they've taken away my Lord, she told them, and I don't know where they've put him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not know it was Jesus. Woman, Jesus said to her, why are you crying? Who is it that you're seeking? Supposing he was the gardener, she replied, sir, if you've carried him away, please tell me where you put him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary, and turning around, she said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Don't cling to me, Jesus told her, since I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and tell them that I am ascending to my Father and to your Father and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I've seen the Lord. And she told them what he had said to her. Let's pray. Lord, we, we just thank you for the truth of your word. And Lord, I just pray that everyone here would truly come to know you in yet a deeper way. Lord, help us to grow closer to you. Lord, help us to, to love you with our whole hearts. Lord, help us to, to, to grow to be more like you. And help us to glorify your holy name in all that we say. In all that we do. We sing in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, as I said before, these people had been with Jesus for three years. They had shared many a meal with him. They had traveled with him. They've, they've, they've endured all sorts of things with him. And they definitely knew him better than everybody else. Still, in spite of all the time that they spent with him, still, in spite of all that they that he had taught them, well, they didn't get it all. And you know, I guess we're all kind of like that, aren't we? You know, no matter how much you're getting, there's always something that you're missing. So let's take a look at this. On the first day of the week, now it, it's, it's interesting, all the Gospels, they, they use this phrase, on the first day of the week. None of them say Sunday, but we know it was Sunday. On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. And she saw the tomb, she saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. Now, Here's one of the things you have to remember, well...
you wouldn't remember this because, you know, it's, it's not exactly the, the best known information. But, you know, back in those days, grave robbing was a common thing. People would go and they would, they would, uh, they would go to graves and they would, they would desecrate them, break, break them open and, and look for valuable things and, and then take off. In fact, this was so bad that the emperor Claudius, one of the things that he did was he made grave robbing a crime punishable by death. Now, you know, Mary goes up and she sees that, you know, the, the stone has been rolled away and, and Jesus is there. And so her, her natural inclination is, well, these must be grave robbers. But here's the other thing. She, she really shouldn't have thought that for a number of reasons. Let's go, if you will, to um, Matthew chapter 27. Now let's go to um, verse 62. The next day, which followed the preparation day, the chief priests and Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we, we remember that while this deceiver was still alive, he said, After three days, I will rise again. So give orders that the tomb be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal him and tell the people he's been raised from the dead. And the last deception will be worse than the first. You have a guard of soldiers, Pilate told them. Go and make it as secure as you know how. And they went and secured the tomb by setting a seal on the stone and placing the guard. Now, you know, these Roman soldiers, when they were set to guard something, they guarded it with their life. Because if what they were guarding was taken, was stolen under their nose, or under their watch, their lives were forfeit. So the last thing that that Mary or anybody else expected to see was that Jesus' body would be gone, that this grave would be broken into, and that Jesus would not be there. But she shows up, and sure enough, this is the situation. Verse 2, So she went running to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said to them, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they put him. At that, Peter and the other disciple went out, heading for the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and got to the tomb first. And stooping down, he saw the linen cloths, lying there, but he did not go in. Now here's here's something else interesting. You know, in those days, linen cloths were not exactly cheap. And if this was a grave robber, you know what they would have done? They would have taken those linen cloths. So clearly, something else was going on here. And you know, Despite all that Jesus had told them about what was going to happen, 
they didn't remember that he said after three days he was going to be resurrected. It's interesting that the Jews went to Pilate and said, hey, you know, this guy says, you know, after three days, he's going to be resurrected. But somehow his disciples forgot that. Now, you know, folks, there's a lot of things, you know, that we remember. You know, I, I, I was out to dinner last night and we were talking about, you know, television shows. We were, we were talking about Seinfeld and some of the, the episodes in there that were just so funny. And, you know, we were talking about, you know, uh, uh, Rod Serling's, uh, uh, The Twilight Zone and, and we were talking about, uh, the Andy Griffith show and some of the, the funny characters. And, you know, you know, it's amazing the trivia that we can remember. And at the same time, we can forget some of the most important things. And despite all that Jesus had tried to communicate to these people, over the three years that he was with them, somehow they forgot this essential information. That he was going to die. That he was going to suffer. But that he was going to be resurrected. And you know what? Because they had forgotten that, they were without hope. Because they had forgotten that, they, they really didn't know what to do. And here's the thing, folks. If you know the Lord, that's a wonderful thing. But you know what? We need to be continually filled by His Spirit. We need to be continually washed by His Word. We need to continually strive to know Him better. You know why? D.L. Moody Asked, one of the things he said is, you know, we need to be filled with the Spirit and filled again and filled again. And someone asked him, well, why do we have to constantly be being filled? And, and, and Moody says, because I leak. And you leak. And I leak. That's why, folks, we need to be constantly in his word. We need to be putting it in our hearts, putting it in our minds, because we can forget that which is essential. We can forget what God has promised each of us. So, verse 3. At that, Peter and the other disciple went out heading for the tomb, and the two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and got to the tomb first. And stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then following him, Simon Peter also came, and he entered the tomb and saw the linen cloths lying there. The wrapping had been on his head, was not lying by the linen cloths, but was folded up and in a separate place by itself. The other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, then also went in and saw and believed. Now, I think it's interesting 
the first person to show up is Mary. The next two people that it notes are Peter and John. Now, this is important for a number of reasons. For one thing, as far as the Jews were concerned, in their legal system, you needed two witnesses to testify in any court of law. In fact, let's let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter um, 17. Deuteronomy 17. And let's take a look at verse 6. The one condemned to die is to be executed on the testimony of two or three witnesses. No one is to be executed on the testimony of a single witness. The witness's hands are to be the first in putting him to death, and after that, the hands of all the people. You must purge the evil from you. Let's take a look at Deuteronomy chapter 19, because we get a little different perspective there. But chapter 19, and let's take a look at verse 15. One witness cannot establish any iniquity or sin against a person, Whatever that person has done, a fact must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. So, you know, the interesting thing is these two guys show up. And these two are about as close to Jesus as, as, as any of his disciples, probably closer than any of his other disciples. And one of the things it says here in verse in verse 8, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first then also went in, saw, and believed. See, they thought he was dead. They thought he was gone. They thought it's all over until they got to the tomb. Now, you know, I, I remember going to Israel once and uh, was there for about a week. And, you know, there's there's like two tombs. And, you know, there's this one where you have these, uh, that's, that's controlled by the Catholic Church, and they have these monks who, you know, um, they were standing there in, in, in their garb, and they had these faces that, Looked like they were chewing on persimmons or something, you know? And, and I just wanted to, I just wanted to say to them, he's not in there anymore. He's not dead. Looked like somebody needed to tell them that. But in any case, Peter and John, they saw that he was no longer there. And since the crucifixion, this was the first time that they believed what he said, what he had promised. Let's take a look at verse 9. It says, For they did not yet understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. 
Now, you know, these guys, like I said, they've been with Jesus. These guys had seen a lot. They'd seen him perform miracles. They'd seen him raise the dead. They, 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 they saw him walk on the water. They saw him, you know, stop storms. And yet, they thought that death could hold him until then. So, here's what they knew, okay? Number one, they knew that Jesus was the Messiah. Number two, they knew that he was the Son of God, and they knew that he was the Son of Man. So, let's take a look at some scripture, okay? So, they knew that he was the Messiah. So, let's go to John chapter 1, and... Let's look at verse 35. And um, let's see. Yeah. The next day, John was standing with two of his disciples. Uh, when When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. And two disciples heard him say this, and following Jesus... And follow Jesus. When Jesus turned and noticed them, he asked them, what are you looking for? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come and see, he replied. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, and it was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who followed, who heard John and followed him. And he first found his own brother Simon and told him, we have found the Messiah, which is translated means the Christ, and brought him to, to brought Simon to Jesus. So they knew that he was the Messiah. He was the promised son of David who was going to be on the throne. Okay? In fact, in, in this Gospel of John, he is referred to as Messiah two times. Here's something else. They knew that he was the son of God. Okay? And when you look at John chapter 1, verse 43, let's take a look at that again. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. He found Philip and told him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the hometown of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and so So did the prophets, Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Nathanael asked him. Come and see, Philip answered. Then Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said about him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Philip, before, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you, Jesus answered. Rabbi, Rabbi, Nathanael replied, You are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. You know, in the gospel of John, Jesus was referred to as the son of God ten times. So they knew that he was the Messiah. They knew that he was the promised king. They they knew that he was the son of God. Here's something else that they knew. He was the son of man. 
Now, you know, Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man. When you look throughout all the Gospels, he refers to himself as the Son of Man, no less, well, more than any other name. And in the Gospel of John, he refers to himself as the Son of Man ten times. Now, what's the significance of the Son of Man? Let's take a look at Daniel chapter 7. Let's go to verse 9. As I kept watching, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white like snow, and the hair of his head like white as wool. His throne was flaming fire. Its wheels were blazing fire. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from his presence. Thousands upon thousands served him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was convened and the books were opened. I watched, and because of the sound of the arrogant words, the horn was speaking. As I continued watching, the beast was killed and its body was destroyed and given over to the burning fire. As for the rest of the beast, their dominion was removed, but an extension of life was granted to them for a certain period of time. I continued to watch in the night visions, and suddenly... One, like a son of man, was coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days, and he was escorted before him. He was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, so that those of every people, nation, and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. Jesus referred to himself as the Son of Man no less than ten times in the Gospel of John. And by so doing, they knew that he was saying that he was both God and King. So here's the thing. They knew that he was God, that the Son of God, wow, I'm impressed. (laughs) They knew that he was the Son of Man. They knew that he was the Messiah. But here's what they did not know. They did not know that he was the suffering servant. See, in, in... when you look at the Old Testament, in the minds of, of the Jews, you know, they had these different figures. They had the Son of Man, and they thought of uh, of this as being one figure. And then they had the Messiah, and they thought of this as being another figure. But they also had the suffering servant, who was yet another figure. And what they never did, what the Jews never understood, was that all three of these prophecies We're about the same person. So let's take a look at Isaiah chapter 53. (laughs) 
Who has believed what we've heard? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He didn't have an impressive form or majesty that we should look at him, no appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like someone people turned away from him. He was despised and we didn't value him. Yet he bore our sicknesses and he carried our pains. And But we in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. And he was pierced because of our rebellion. He was crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace on him. And he was healed and we are healed by his wounds. We all went astray like sheep. We've all turned to our own way, and the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb led to the slaughter, like a sheep silent before her shearers, he did not open his mouth. He was taken away because of the oppression and judgment. And who considered his fate? For he was cut off from the land of the living. He was struck because of my people's rebellion. He was assigned a grave with the wicked. But he was with a rich man at his death, because no, because he had done no violence and had not spoken deceitfully. Yet the Lord was pleased to crush him severely. When you make him a guilt offering, he will see his seed, he will prolong his days, and by his hand the Lord's pleasure will be accomplished. After his anguish, he will see the light and be satisfied by his knowledge. My righteous servant will justify many, and he will carry their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him the many as a portion, and he will receive the mightiest spoil, because he willingly submitted to the death and was counted among the rebels. Yet he bore the sin of many and interceded for the rebels. See, Jesus made it loud and clear to them that this is the reason that he came. Let's take a look at Matthew chapter 15. Chapter 16, I'm sorry. Let's start with verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And he replied, "Uh, some say John the Baptist and others, Elijah, still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But he asked them, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus responded, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I also also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it, and I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he gave the disciples order to tell no one that he was the Messiah. From then on, 
Jesus began to point out to his disciples that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, chief priests, and scribes, be killed and be raised the third day. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Oh, no, Lord, this will never happen to you. Jesus turned and told Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me because you're not thinking about God's concerns, but human concerns. Jesus told these guys in no uncertain terms that he that he had come to die, that he had come to suffer, that he had come to be the sacrifice for their sins. And somehow, these guys had forgotten this. Folks, if you know him today, you know, we, we have the advantage of having God's word. That's, that's something that the disciples didn't have. Of course, on the other hand, they, they got to live with him for three years. But I think we have less excuse. We have his word. And he died for your sin. No matter how great it is. No matter how insignificant you think it might be. And he cares for you. You know, um, we, uh, we say that we, we, we know a lot of things, you know, uh, you know, we say that we know Jesus, we, you know, you can say that, well, uh, you know, I, I, I know that, that, uh, Joe Biden is president of the United States. Not a happy thought, but yeah, I, I know that. But you know what I don't know? I don't know Joe Biden. And you know, I can afford not to know Joe Biden. But you know what you cannot afford? You cannot afford not to know Jesus Christ. And how do you know him? Through his word. When you look at John chapter 20, one of the things is, despite everything that he had taught them, they had forgotten so much of it. And it wasn't till they saw that he was no longer in the tomb that they finally believed. And verse 9 says, For they did not yet understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. And when they saw this, they started putting it all together. Then the disciples returned to the place where they were staying. But Mary stood outside the tomb, crying. And as she was crying, she she stooped, stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where Jesus' body had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. And they said to her, what, Why are you crying? Because they've taken my Lord away, she told them, and I don't know where they've put him. 
You know what? He's never far from you and from me if we belong to him. He's always there with us. Verse 14, having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus there, but she did not know it was Jesus. As I said, he's always there for you and for me, even if we don't always recognize him. Woman, Jesus said to her, why are you crying? Who is it that you're seeking? Supposing that he was a gardener, she replied, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And turning around, she said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Don't cling to me, Jesus told her, since I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and tell them that I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and to your God. Now, you know, there's some confusion over here regarding him saying, hey, um, don't, don't, don't cling to me. Well, you know, this is not to be confused with her merely touching him. Because, you know, in the same chapter, in fact, if you look at, um, if you look at verse 27, it says, Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger in here and look at my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Don't be faithless, but believe. So the problem wasn't that he was touching her. It was the way she was touching him. She was clinging tightly. She and, and, you know, and it, it's easy to understand because she loved him. And she thought that he was lost, and, and there he was. And she didn't want to let go. But, folks, we don't have to worry about holding on to him because he's holding on to us. Amen? You know, um, he was not there to stay. He was going to go to the Father. But he was going to leave behind his Holy Spirit so that we would always be with him. You know, here's the thing. Yeah, I, I had a year-long Ph.D. seminar in Christology. I learned a lot. And I'm here to tell you, I don't know nearly enough. And hopefully, what happens is as we go through this life, we are spending time in his word, and we will get to know him in yet a greater and greater way. But here's the, here's the, the, the great thing. When I die, when we die, when we go into eternity, 
we will have all of eternity to know him in yet a greater, deeper way. And you know what? We won't leak anymore. We'll remember it all. Now, folks, if if you know Jesus today, if you have repented of your sins, if you've come to him, that will be your hope too. But if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ, you have no hope. And you won't spend an endless eternity with him. You will spend an endless eternity in another place without him. And you don't want to be without him under any circumstance. Let's pray. Lord, once again, we, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you, Lord, that, that you suffered and died for our sins. We thank you, Lord, that you won't let us go. We thank you that you are always with us. Lord, I, I pray that everyone here would just draw closer to you, that we would grow in our knowledge and in our love for you, that, that we might glorify your holy name in all that we say and in all that we do. And Lord, I, I pray that if there is anyone who is here who does not know you, that Lord, that, that they would respond now, that they would see that today is the day of salvation, and that they would come to you, that they would repent, and that they would follow after you with their whole hearts. Lord, guide us. We sing in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.